everybody. It's uh, me again, coming back from a little bit of a break to the uh, Everything Went Black podcast. For the uh, three or four of you out there who tune into this regularly, uh, I'd like to apologize for my absence. I've uh, been in deep in the uh, PR campaign for this uh, new Tombs record, Savage Gold, which is about to come out next week. So that's why I haven't been uh, busy giving you guys podcasts. But my good friend Lena Dawes stopped by tonight, so hey, let's uh, let's let's rock and roll, you know. Before we get started, I'd like to just uh, appeal to you out there who may be into martial arts or any sort of physical training, and if you're into a new bag for the summer season, you might want to check out Dots of Sara. They make all hemp equipment. Uh, gear bags, grappling shorts, um, you know, t-shirts. I have one myself, which is amazing. I take it on tour. I take it to the training center, to the gym, to the Muay Thai camp, and I fit all my gear in there. And I can take it on tour, bring my computer, bunch of changes of socks, pair of pants, all that stuff, and it's great. So, um, yeah, if you go to the everythingwithblackmedia.com website and you just check out the portal I have there, um, I'm an associate of theirs, so if you purchase anything through that portal, I get a little kickback, and that's kind of how we keep the lights on here, is uh, just by supporting things we believe in. And um, Chris from Datsusara was also a guest a number of months ago, and he's like a really cool guy, a fellow jiu-jitsu practitioner, um, you know, independent businessman, so uh, definitely try to support him. He's awesome, and he's doing a really cool thing with his equipment. And uh, secondly, if you're into uh, healthy eating, um, t- check out onit.com, and you can reach them through one of the portals at the everythingwentblackmedia.com website. You just look there, click through. You can buy some, uh, you know, cashew butter, um, you know, chocolate, uh, workout equipment, you know, kettlebells, things like that. It's all there. You can get the Blendtec blender, which I have and I use almost on a daily basis. So that stuff's. Uh, you know, pretty pretty integral to my uh, my trip here. So anyhow, it's uh, so it's springtime now, and it's uh, we're getting some beautiful weather here in the Northeast. And my friend Lena Dawes is here, so say hello. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> how's it going? So um, before before we get started here, I just want to know: Have you heard of this uh, Slender Man thing? Um, unfortunately, just from Facebook. <laughs> it's on Facebook, right? Yeah, just these two kids killed someone over this fictionalized thing. Yeah, there's like apparently there's some guy. Like I, I'm, I'm coming in late in the game too. Like I, um, I found out about this, uh, you know, today actually. Mm-hmm. And apparently, there's like, um, you know, some website out there called something awful or awful things and uh this guy designed this character um with like no face and these like weird tendrils that come out of its back and he's like this long thin man wearing a suit with like a hat and um these like young girls sacrificed one of their classmates um another young girl in the uh attempt to sort of manifest uh this this being into this reality you know and um yeah, I find it interesting on a number of levels because I was, you know, in, in the shadowy circles that I end up reading, you know, all the websites I check out, um, you know, there's these people that believe that, uh, you know, that this uh, Slender Man is like an archetypical being that's existed like for 
you know, as long as humans have been conscious, you know, mm-hmm. like over history, you know, and that by sheer will, humanity has sort of made a physical manifestation of this force by this murder, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if I believe any of that stuff, but I just find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all need something to believe in, uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you mentioned be you told we were talking before, and you mentioned a guy David Ick. David Ike, yeah. David uh, David yeah. Ike. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I just finished. I had to do a final paper for one of my classes, and I was doing it on the white nationalist movement, and his name actually came up. Really? <laughs> yeah, and in terms of the conspiracy theory. Um, okay. You know, and it's he's a he's a weird guy. It seems like because he obviously has a lot of legitimate. Yeah. Uh, He's a journalist from yeah. England or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but I think there was there was certain issues, probably in terms of creativity or the the creationism movement that um, you know he was kind of had veered or people had kind of put him onto the far right oh, okay. side. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, you know S- S- Savage Gold. like i i guess you know what i know that you know i guess can you can you kind of tell me in terms of the overall kind of overriding philosophy or theme in terms of the 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 name savage gold where it came from okay well this has nothing to do with david Icke. yeah no (laughs) he's um yeah, he, he believes that there's like uh, this reptilian ruling class and all of our major leaders are in fact these shape-shifting reptile creatures and uh, humanity is like sort of their, you know, their pawns in this like, uh, you know, chess match that they're playing against each other. And, you know, it ties into like the New World Order and the Illuminati and the Knights Templar and all that sort of stuff. Unfortunately, Savage Gold uh, has, doesn't really have anything to do with that. <laughs> or fortunately. Um you know, one one of my one of the things I'm interested in, in this sort of uh, you know more esoteric sense, is alchemy, and um, you know not so much like I want to grab like some lead and turn it into gold or anything, but the idea of uh, you know transformation of um, you know taking like a very base material and transforming it into a higher you know noble metal and gold being the highest um, you know form in alchemy. You know, that's always been the primary goal is to transform things into gold. And so the record in general has to do with, uh, you know, transformation, um, either on a personal level, taking your beginning raw materials and building blocks and improving it into this thing that sort of is better than what you were prior. And then more, more so in a, um, in like a more, uh, you know, general sense, like, you know, energy changing state, like from the physical world, you know, crossing the membrane into, you know, whatever lies beyond like the borders of like death and reality and, you know, transcending that sort of thing. And, you know, it's just like an interesting idea that, um, you know, over the last few years, um, you know, it was something that conceptually I just sort of been like writing about and it's popped up in a lot of the, the notebooks that I have and, you know, and uh, that sort of naturally just took form on the record. And, um, you know, in the song Thanatos, you know, I use the term savage gold. And, like, you know, gold, you know, it's like, you know, that song is about, 
you know, questioning what happens to the, your energy when your, your physical form perishes, you know. So, um, yeah, I just threw the savage in gold, like, you know, savage is like a word I like to throw around and use. And, you know, I like to really go after things in my life. And that term always, I use that to describe things all the time. So they just sort of fell together. And, um, yeah, we, I remember we were down in Florida in the recording session with, uh, Eric, you know, Rutan. And, you know, it was after, um, you know, it was, you know, one of the typically long days we spent down there, we were back at the hotel room and it was like, you know, everyone was just kind of tired or hanging out, listening to music. And, uh, I was like reviewing the lyrics cause I, I probably was like getting ready to start vocals the next day. And, um, we were like dumb, you know, just couldn't come up with a name. You know, we'd thrown around a bunch of different titles and, uh, nothing really stuck. And I just said, Hey, what do you guys think of Savage Gold? You know, it sort of fits the whole vibe of the record. And, um, yeah, everyone, everyone was into it. Not so much at first, but over several days time, we kind of came back to that idea and people were like, yeah, you know, that's a really cool name. I'm down with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then it sort of just went from there, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, I know that from, you know, the people, I guess we probably have, we know people in common. Um, a friend of mine was telling me yesterday that, um, you know, he thought from listening to the album and you as an individual that it made perfect sense because you as a person have, you know, are constantly challenging yourself to do as much as you can, yeah. um, you know, in this, in this lifetime. Sure. Um, and he felt that that kind of really led to, there's a certain drive in the album. Um, and there's a certain motivation that he, uh, that he felt that there was in there. But uh, one thing I notice about Savage Gold too is the addition of Ides of Gemini. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My friends um, Jay and Sarah, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was it was really kind of neat, you know, how they kind of appeared at the end of Ashes. And I was just kind of wondering like how you know Jay, oh, Bennett yeah. and Sarah and kind of how did this come together? Well I've known Jay for like probably close to twenty years. Um I don't know how we actually met, but I know him from the days when I lived in Boston. Um, that's where I met all, you know, Jay and, and uh, Mark Thompson, who was, you know, one of the guys who ran Hydrahead, you know, and Aaron Turner and all the guys in ISIS. And, you know, all those guys, um, we just became lifelong friends, but that friendship started when we all lived in Boston. So Jay was like part of that circle of people. And, um, you know, it's funny because he's not really... Uh, you know, someone who's been very active in being a musician for most of this time. Like, mm -hmm. he's been mostly f focusing on his writing, you know. And then uh, I remember one day, like a few years ago, he was just like, oh, I have this band. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. And, um, you know, his, his his lady friend, Sarah, you know, she's like all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, she was in, uh, was it, um, she had another band. Uh, uh, something, Death, Horseman. Yeah. Black. Black. Yeah. Math Horseman. Black Math Horseman, yes. Yeah. That, and when I first met her, with Jay in Los Angeles, that was the active band that she had. And, you know, she seemed really cool, really nice. I mean, you know, um, you know, amazing voice, very talented, you know, just very, very, um, you know, I admire a lot of the things that she's done musically. So I was real excited, you know, when, when, uh, when they, he told me they were doing, doing something creative together. And, uh, and I was just like, yeah, man, you know, she's probably going to carry the whole thing because, you know, 
you know, she's awesome and you're just sort of mediocre, <laughs> you know, but like, but, uh, but no, Jay, I heard he showed, he gave me the demo and I was like, man, this is really cool. It's like interesting. It's like real, like sort of low key. And, uh, when we were recording Path of Totality, I, that's when I listened to it. That's when he gave it to me before we left to leave to record that record down mm-hmm. in Texas. And, uh, so yeah, we just been in touch and, um, I just, I like doing stuff with friends, and I think that, like, the last couple of records, I've tried to involve as many people that are my friends as much as I can. And this time around, it's uh, Jay's turn to <laughs> to, to, to uh, contribute something, you know. So, um, yeah, like, I just, before we even had any plans to do the album, I was like, yeah, I want you guys to be on this somehow. So they sent me this track, and I just sort of manipulated it a little bit, and, you know, we popped it on the record, and it seemed to work really well. Well, you know, like listening to it, um, you know, for the outro of Ashes, and then it flips right into Legacy, mm-hmm. which is just boom in your face. Yeah. And like a really kind of fast, urgent track. It, it got me thinking when I was listening to Savage Gold, like, how do you put it together? I mean, if you've got, you know, I assume that you record a ton of songs. Yeah. You've selected, you know, 10, 11, 12 for a particular album. How do you put it in order in terms of how do you make those decisions as to what follows what? Well, a lot of it has to do with the order we play live. You know, we play the songs live and set. Um, mm-hmm. That, though not necessarily the way things actually end up on the record, that's something that's in the back of our minds. Like, that's, you know, how do we play it live? Like, how do the songs fit when we play it in the live setting? But that's, you know, we, we sort of... With the demos, because all, all, all the things we do, we work with demos. Like, before we even go down to the studio, we've already recorded the record, like, at least once, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, in a, in a demo setting. So we sort of put everything together, you know, try out things, like, order-wise, and then those little soundscapes, you know. I have way more than I actually used, you know, ready to go. We sort of piece those in there and just sort of lay it out um, and just see how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's pretty much how it comes together. One of the uh, tracks on the album, um, was it uh, Severed Lives? We were talking about that it was almost going to be, a, it was a Vasilik? Uh, no, it was Death Tripper, actually. Yeah, Death yeah. Tripper. Yeah. Yeah, and I, how do you, dis- I know that you had, you had re- already recorded as a Vasilik. Yes. And then recorded it for Savage Gold. Yes. Um how do you, because I know you've got other projects, other musical projects, mm-hmm. so how do you kind of decide when you're writing, when you're just being creative, what song is going to go for what project? Or- um, it just sort of feels right. You know, that's kind of what it was, even with the with Death Tripper, uh, when I wrote it here in this room that we're sitting in right now, um, you know, I'd, I'd started putting together these these tones and these bass lines, and I was like, yeah, this is going to be a Vasilex song, you know, and but then when I, I put it all together, and, and a lot of the Vasilek material, I would say all of it, really, <laughs> doesn't have any, any, any vocals. It's right. mostly, it is, it's instrumental for the most part. Um, once the vocal hook started setting in, I was like, this isn't really a Vasilek song. This is probably more appropriate for a tomb song. So um, I just proposed it to everybody in the band. I was like, hey, you know, pretty much wrote this song. I'm gonna u- I was, was going to use it for Vasilek, but... I feel like it fits with the band more. And everyone's like, yeah, cool. I'm like, well, we have to record it exactly the way I wrote it. Like, <laughs> there can't be any like variation to that, you know? 
and everyone was cool with that. So, you know, that probably is like the one song out of all of our songs where it's like I had to have everything exactly the way I recorded it in the demo because yeah, a lot of this stuff starts with a pretty involved demo recording just by myself with like a click track or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of side to side motion and a lot of, you know, give and take. But for that song just had to go the way it went, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and um, that just, you know, sort of, sort of happened the way it did, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess one of the uh, things too I noticed is uh, Karen Crisis. Yes. Um, and so the album is Gospel of the Witches. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed is that including yourself on yep. two tracks, she's got a kick-ass band. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Danny yep. Walker. Yep. Um, and then um, David Tiso, is that her husband? Yes. Okay. And then Ross Dolan from Immolation. Hell yeah. I just saw them <laughs> I just saw them play in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, they did a pre-show for MDF. The first time oh, yeah. I saw Immolation play. And really? Yeah, never seen them before. And it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, it's just like, this is how it needs to be oh, done. Yeah. He's, yes. he's fantastic. Amazing. I yeah. love that band. They're, and he's got beautiful hair. He does. He does <laughs> have great hair, man. You know? Oh, white people and their hair. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a great... So how did you get involved with that project? Well, um... You know, Eric Rutan recorded uh, Ethel Duath, and she's in that band too. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think, I, you know, it's it's interesting because Karen, after we recorded down at Eric's studio, about a month later, she reached, reached out to me and she was like, you know, introduced herself basically. And I was just like, you know, I think that your voice would go really well on this record that I'm working on. You're interested in doing it. And I was like, yeah. I mean, Crisis is a legendary New York City, mm-hmm. you know, metal band. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, not just, like, musically. I think she's into really cool, interesting things. And, um, you know, even, even like, the sort of, you know, art, like, art that she produces, all that stuff is, like, really, really, really interesting to me. So um, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I don't, I just have to sing. You know, that's cool. So... She uh, she picked two songs that she thought uh, would you know my voice would sound good on, and, and then we just went from there. Like yeah. uh, she sent me the lyrics, she sent me the demos, and you know I rehearsed things a few times here, and then uh, I went out to uh, my friend Brendan Tobin's studio out in Park Slope, and we just spent one afternoon and just kicked it, you know, and and uh, you know she's working on re- finishing the record right now actually mm-hmm. and um i just got an email from her saying that you know things are going great you know we're gonna have some like rough mixes to you know of the stuff that we've done together and I'll, I'll probably be hearing something i mean hopefully before i leave for tour next week i'd like to hear just rough mixes or something you know just everything i've heard is amazing it's really cool i mean she's like such an insane singer man yeah, and she, I mean, I, I i don't know her personally. We're Facebook friends. Yes. <laughs> but she seems to, I mean, in terms of that New York work ethic, I can see why you two would have a lot in common yeah. because she seems to have so much stuff on the go yeah. and um, has quite a long career in this industry, oh, yeah. especially as a woman. Yeah, totally. When, to quite honestly, a lot of people would have, like, you know, folded in the towel. Oh, I agree. That she's got all these creative art outlets yep. that she's she's doing which keeps her going yeah you know and i think that's it's like 
she really has talent as a vocalist too. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't just try to you know, like just do the extreme metal trip the whole time. And she's got, I mean, and she displays all that on this recording. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I told her, uh, you know, if um, you know, now that I did this, like you kind of you kind of owe me a little bit here. You know, so, <laughs> so the next, <laughs> so the next, uh, you know, next tombs recording, I'm like, yeah, you know. If you're into it, you know, you lay down some backup vocals or whatever, you know. So she was like down with that too. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, Karen will be on the, you know, <laughs> when we write a new record, you'll you'll be hearing her voice on there somewhere. Yeah. Let, I wanted to ask you a question about tombs and the music and kind of your reputation because I mean, a reputation. I, well, I saw you. It's funny because I saw Tombs play at Maryland Death Fest. What? Well, oh, I was like a two or th- maybe three or four years ago. Three or maybe. four years yeah, ago. It was a while ago. And my first, from seeing you on stage, it was very masculine, very okay. strong and yep. powerful. Now, you know, recently in the newspaper, there was that kid in L.A. Yes. Who, sh- who shot um, six people. Yes, women. Right. Yep. And um, so there has been a lot of talk about masculinity and what it means. Um, okay. Unfortunately for this dude, you know, he took it to another level. Right. In terms of his own personal issues and how he feel, felt as a man. Okay. Um, I'm, I always wonder in terms of listening to metal, listening to um, who you are as an individual and, and how people perceive you as a very strong masculine man. Um, is that ever in your music? And I think that in Severed Lives on Savage Gold, I would, I would say that that's the first time I've heard you almost your vulnerability. Okay. Um, do you yeah. ever feel that there's any type of resistance and, or any type of hesitation in terms of showing either your vulnerable side when people are perceiving you as such a strong person? Not at all. I mean, I think that's what strength is, really, is to sort of be honest about yourself and, you know, I mean, not play a role, not be like, you know, I'm like this, you know, whatever, you know, fucking tough guy or, you know, alpha male, like, dude, because that's all just like relative and everyone has like a full range of emotions and i think that most people suppress like all their other emotions at the expense of you know being happy with themselves and uh you know i think like security like not like being in like the insecurity that i think most men feel or not here i go most men i'm saying forget about that (laughs) the insecurity that some people feel in general like that you know leads them to sort of build up these personas to protect themselves and i think that if you feel secure in who you are and, you know, you feel like you're a powerful, per- powerful person, then you can, you know, allow people to see you in the true, you know, light, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I, I, I see things, you know? Yeah. Do you have any, um, like, I, I just found with that guy, his masculinity and his maleness was all wrapped up around women and sex and, and that not to have... And he wasn't a man until he had a woman. And because he was a virgin at 22, and unfortunately I know people who are in their 40s and are virgins, <laughs> so that's, that's no big deal. Yeah. But, you know, it just got me thinking about also heavy metal in a, in a overall. Yeah. And the music that, you know, you yeah. do, the music that I listen to and write about, um, is there any kind of, I just wonder if that seeps into kind of our community in terms of this weird high, you know, the music we listen to that's so aggressive, it's so masculine, is that, does that change how we kind of view 
the outside world? Um, well, I mean, I think like aggression and sort of, you know, that that's, there's a time, there's a place for all that stuff. And I think that, you know, speaking from like the, the male perspective, that it's important to like uh, manage those things. And the way that I manage those things is through, you know, writing aggressive music and like training really hard. And, you know, and I think that that, like you need to have that, you need to get rid of that, like sort of like simian rage, you know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever those feelings. You gotta, you gotta relieve that pressure so that you can exist peacefully with other people, you know. Like if you didn't have any release for that stuff, you would probably, you know, I know personally I would, you know, probably do some really antisocial behaviors. Now, I don't really know this kid, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that he was probably on some sort of like uh, pharma, pharmaceuticals too, mm-hmm. you know, because that seems to be the common thread among all these like gunmen and, you know, murderers and all this other stuff is that they're like on these like antidepressant drugs and, you know, their history of using that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I, I would have to do more research on it, but I think that, I would be. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that this guy had like a history of that. Yeah, and you're you're a proponent of clean living. More or less, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I know that like you know you've got a, co- a coffee company yeah. that is uh, you're releasing your coffee. We're on the eve of launching the coffee company. Yeah, actually. called Savage Gold. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Savage Gold Coffee Company. One of the things that you have described it as, and I want to ask you this, is high altitude coffee. Yeah. What it, does that mean? Um. Well, the higher like the altitude that the you harvest the beans at, okay, like that. That's what I'm referring to. Okay, I thought you meant it had a lot of caffeine in it. Oh well, no, 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 no. no. Um, yeah, I mean it's it has to do with like tox levels of toxins and you know how how the coffee's processed and there's a lot of misinformation out there about mycotoxins and I think I might have been sort of involved in uh, propagating some of that misinformation, <laughs> but they, there's um. You know anything that's like wet, like um, wet processed, and you know any any good coffee that you drink these days will have like a low level of toxins in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know if you go to like you know chock full of nuts, like freeze dried, most likely you're drinking something that's pretty toxic and filled with mold. You know. Mm-hmm. But if you go to like Stumptown or something like that, you're you're you'll, you'll do okay. So how did this uh, like how did this come about? Well. I love coffee. I always have my whole entire life. I mean, I, I come from an Italian family and, uh, you know, coffee always played a big role in, in the sort of, well, food in general, eating and drinking coffee and just sort of enjoying that aspect of life Mm -hmm. was like a huge thing for me when I was growing up and we always had coffee on the table, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it just sort of, I've grown, grown with that in my right hand, you know, and it was just, I associate coffee with like traveling and like working really hard and, you know, going to band practice and, and, uh, you know, just kicking the day off. And, um, initially, you know, there's always been like, you know, too much caffeine is bad for you. But then like, you know, the deeper you get into it, you realize that, that good coffee has a lot of health benefits too. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a guy named Rob Wolf who is, uh, one of the, sort of old school, um, you know, paleo lifestyle sort of gurus. And he discovered or developed this drink with um, butter, you know, grass-fed butter, mm-hmm. uh, coconut oil, and 
he used a tea, but you can use coffee as well. You sort of blend it all together. And it's kind of like your morning, like, energy boost for the day. And that's something I've been, you know, since last summer, I've been doing that in the morning. And, um, is it a meal? Like, do you use it as a meal replacement? Well, the interesting thing about saturated fat uh-huh. is that, um, if you're using saturated fat as like an energy source as opposed to glucose, you know, like when you eat bread, right. sugars, uh, our, our bodies actually work better when we're in the ketogenic state, more ketosis, which is utilizing saturated fat for energy. And you actually end up eating less. And it's not, I'm not trying to, you know, like be some like, you know, male model or anything like that or, you know, but, um, you know, just like managing your overall health, I find that going through phases of ketosis is like a really healthy thing to do. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of um, your body's resources go into, into um, you know, digestion, you know. So, you know, I mean, this is the paleo philosophy of like when we were like, you know, hunters and gatherers or whatever. You know, we actually didn't eat that much and we sort of ate in these like, you know, phases of the day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, trying to live like that and see, you know, it seems to be working really well. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just thinking like I at um when you get to be a certain age yeah. Yeah, <laughs> things start not working the way they should. Oh yeah. And I was actually just thinking about, you know, I need I was drinking so much coffee uh-huh. the last couple of weeks of graduate school. Yeah. That I feel like I burned a hole in my stomach. But I know that it was shitty coffee because it was um it was cheap coffee. It was very acidy. I yeah. yeah. And I and I love it too, but I, I was really wondering about your coffee company because it's all in moderation, right? And it's the quality that's important. Well, dig this. Like, ever since I've been doing this sort of grass-fed butter MCT oil mm-hmm. drink, I only drink like two cups a day now. Oh, okay. And I used to like slam coffee. I used to mainline coffee like a motherfucker, man. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I mean, I go in phases. Like, obviously, you know, when we're touring, you know, you're sort of in the van, you know, like I don't smoke cigarettes or anything like that. So I'm like, you know, drinking. It's like a safety blanket. It's like a blanket for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that in my everyday life here, I just, you know, do my, my coffee in the morning with the butter and the MCT oil. And that pretty much, like, gives me this sort of mellow energy rise. And I sort of ride that out until about, like, 1 o'clock. And then I'm, then I'm like, you know. You sort of come down, but it's not like a crash. Mm-hmm. Like when you slam like Starbucks coffee all morning, then you just you get a headache and then you, cr- you crash and you're done. Right. Like you just sort of ease off of that peak, you know, and then maybe in the afternoon you might, you know, you might need a, another cup of coffee or what I've been doing is uh, matcha green tea in the afternoon. And, uh, and that's, that's like a boost, man. Like you get that old school, like Japanese, like tea ceremony tea. Mm, okay. And, um, you get down with that. And uh, and that'll that'll really give you um, give you a boost. Like I I actually drank that um, before uh, before training one day, and I was like, you know, usually you know I, I get down there and I'm kind of like you know the day's been long, and I'm a little tired. I drank that uh, that matcha tea, and I got down to the on the mat, and I'm just like, man, I feel great. I'm like ready to go, man. Let's do this, you know. And I was like, and I was like, and it was, and I've been doing that. Like you know, a couple of days a week, I'll like have some matcha tea, and I, I even got one of those bamboo whisks, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's cool. You know, it's good stuff. How would you like in terms of marketing and branding Savage Gold Coffee? Like what are your plans and like are is it going to be available, you know, 
like widely dis available in various stores? Are you being selective with how it's being marketed and distributed? Or? Well, what I, what I really what's really impressed me these these last over the last year actually is the sort of um, you know membership oriented way that things are sold. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the Dollar Shave Club is um, you know. It's like it exists as this sort of service where you, you you know you can buy like razor blades for like incredibly amount like cheap amounts of money. You can you sign up for a plan and they just show up in your mailbox like once a month. Mm -hmm. um, you know a lot a lot of a lot of the sort of lifestyle that I sort of gravitate towards is is about creating like a community. So and this is like a really long winded way of answering your question, <laughs> but for well, I guess for number one. I immediately I don't see Savage Gold being available in the stores right right away. Okay. You know, maybe maybe it's but that's not really my plan right now. My plan is to get it just sort of just through the through my website, mm -hmm. you know, which is gonna be launching in a couple of weeks, savagegoldcoffee.com. And um sort of just developing like a membership where if you drink like, you know, three or four pounds a month, you sign up and then I send you three three or four pounds of coffee every month and it's just going from there and just sort of building like a bunch of like-minded people who are into the same kind of stuff, you know, and just sort of also offering, obviously, you know, single point of sales and that sort of stuff, but just kind of creating a vibe. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, I'm not trying to, like, force people to buy anything. That's the thing. I just, I want to, I want to provide, like, a good product, you know, that, that, I, that I use that I think is awesome and uh, offer it to people. And, you know, if, if people want to join up, then let's do it. Mm -hmm. Also, in addition to coffee, I'm going to be offering some other things, too. Um, you know, I'm really into essential oils, you know. Oh, okay. So there's, there's going to be a Savage Gold essential oil, too, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, if you're a hippie like me and you like to burn oil in your apartment, uh, you know, it'll have, like, a certain characteristic. <laughs> where do, if I was interested in that drink, like, where would I find the MCT oil? Like, what is that exactly? You can all, you will be able to buy that from uh, Savage Gold okay. Coffee. You know, okay. we'll be carrying someone else's MCT oil. Right. But um, MCT oil, you can just buy it on Amazon. Um, there's a great company called Now, mm -hmm. um, and they they offer like a reasonably priced MCT oil. And basically, all it is is coconut oil that you put in a centrifuge, and you spin out all of the uh, the sort of uh, material that makes it coconut, mm -hmm. and just that. Um, medium chain medium chain triglyceride is left, mm -hmm. and it's like a fairly tasteless, odorless, clear, you know, liquid oil, and that's what you just add to your coffee. You can make, um, yeah, you can make you can make salad dressing out of it. It actually is uh, antimicrobial. <laughs> it's like, I mean, coconut oil is like a, a wonder food, man. Yeah, you know. So I'm a big fan of coconut oil, MCT oil, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, black people use it in, in their hair, in their skin. I've heard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can just, you know, drench your body in it and walk out the door. It's all good. Actually, uh, you know, in the Valley Tudo <laughs> days, uh, you know, the Brazilian uh, fighters, um, you know, that was like, uh, you know, they would, they would compete just wearing with, you know, Valley Tudo shorts with these like skimpy little booty shorts that these Brazilian dudes wear. And uh you know, it's Valley Tudo is like you know mixed martial arts, like striking, grappling, wrestling, all that stuff. Guys would would they would um you know drench themselves in coconut oil, and the night before 
And then when they start sweating, the oil would sort of come out, and they would be able to, you know, get out of grips and stuff when you're wrestling with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird, but... Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. of, like, kind of, like, this weird oil wrestling. Like, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. a little too, you know. Intimate, yeah. Yeah, for me. Yeah. For me. That's just me, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, in terms of, you've got some other music projects too that you're working on. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one of them is um, we don't have a name just yet, but it's um, it's with uh, Jay Newman, uh, Ryan Lipinski uh, from Unearthly Trance, mm-hmm. and a drummer um, Mike Hegarty, who uh, has played in a bunch of bands and is still playing in a bunch of like you know punk and like black metal style bands in, in Brooklyn. And um, I'm just doing vocals in that band. I'm not writing any of the guitar parts or you know it's just ryan's the riff master so uh i'm just just doing vocals and uh so far we have like six seven songs do you have a name for the band yet no not yet that's uh that's always the hardest part it's easier to write songs we'll we'll probably have a record recorded before we have a name (laughs) yeah how do you find time to do all of this um you know when you really sort of focus on stuff and you, you schedule things out, you'd be surprised how much time you actually have to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is uh, you know, you, you don't think you have enough time. But then when you cut out all the dilly-dallying, well, it's like, you know, you know I'm going to think about doing this. And then it's like, you know, the procrastination is really what, what gets eats up all your time. You know, so, I mean, I try to manage my time really well, I guess. That's, you know... Well, would you? Are you thinking in the future of like if you release this album with this new band, are you gonna? Are you planning to do any touring? Yeah, it's in the plan. I mean, we're mm-hmm. at least it's it's so new that you know probably just some shows regionally. I mean, there's no label or anything like that. So, you know, I'm sure that you know definitely like New York, Philly, Boston, you know that kind of thing. Maybe take a you know trip to Canada, you know Baltimore. That those regional shows mm-hmm. definitely. You know, uh, there's also another band I'm doing with. Um, that that band has a name. It's called Shadowcast, okay. and that's with um, with Fade from from Batillus. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie Schmidt, who plays in Vora. Okay. And uh, Nick and Sean from Hull. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm playing guitar just in that. I'm just only doing guitar playing, and uh, you know that's like interesting because it, it, I I like the idea of just focusing on playing and mm-hmm. not have to worry about writing lyrics or singing or any of that stuff. I mean, I may end up contributing backup vocals or something, but um, that project has been a little slow moving, but we're, we're plugging along. And I think while I'm away on tour, um, they're going to try to record drums for four songs. And then when I get back, I'll put my, my parts down and just sort of, we'll build from there. I mean, there's no, you know, once again, there's no label interest. There's no, you know, I haven't done any shows or anything yet. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to take our time and really focus on making the recording sound good and you know, hopefully get that out there this summer at some point, either just as a download or somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about tour, so you're going on tour next week? Yeah, we're leaving uh, Wednesday night for um, a West Coast tour of Pelican. Pelican. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so that's going to be great. Yeah, and you were you were talking about Mayhem. Aha, yeah. Yeah, and like what's going on or what happened with that? Well, they, they canceled the tour. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, that's the second time it's actually happened with us. Uh this time around, it was supposed to be Mayhem, Inquisition, Us, and Black Anvil. And uh, that would have been a great yeah. great lineup. But then, I don't know, maybe the, I don't know, like uh, the money wasn't there or something like that. And just for no apparent reason, they just 
first like postponed it and now it's like probably not going to happen ever. <laughs> Do you think though like I mean, well, I mean, it's it's a bummer because I like Black Anvil. Yeah. Actually, one of the guys I found out works just down the street from me. Which guy? Oh, sh- he's short. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be very careful when I answer this question. Does he have long hair and a beard? Yes. That's my buddy Paul. Okay. Those guys are like my tight tight friends. Okay. Yeah, he uh he's friends with my friend Justina. Oh yeah. So okay. we were walking. Yeah, we were we were uh, walking around my campus, and she bumped into him. I'm like, and I didn't realize until later he was in Black Anvil. But yeah, yeah. I love that band. Have you heard the new album? I, I heard it a long time ago. Uh, love yeah. it. It's great. It's, yeah, it's, I'm stoked for those guys. But I mean, it's weird too because that would be that would have been a weird lineup. Two bands that I personally would love to see you and Black Anvil. Inquisition. I'd take a pass on that. Sure. Um, and then Mayhem has such a kind of fucked up reputation yeah. that I used to I mean I like there's certain mayhem records I love I mean mm-hmm. you know I love Death Crush I think is just like you know great you know um, I have no idea what their their new record sounds like they have a new album coming out in, in the fall mm-hmm. so I mean they're not going to be supporting it in the states which I think is crazy kind of a, you know a bad scene for them yeah um, not doesn't do you know doesn't help your label relations if you're not supporting a record <laughs> you know yeah exactly in a major market like the u.s uh inquisition i always thought sucked honestly i never was a fan of it. i mean i i remember hearing their recordings and just being like oh it sounds pretty cool but then i, I actually went to see them when they played at st vitus a little while ago and mm-hmm. i was like man this is like a joke band it's like so thin sounding and just like weird and i don't know yeah i just saw them at mdf oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago for the second time this year, and I was like, meh. Yeah, it's like two kiss, like, I don't know. I think people, it's weird with this, some of these bands, people like the mystique and the, you know, the controversy, and it's it's provocative, right. but, and you're not necessarily paying attention to the music. But, um, well, I also heard through the grapevine that you do have a show coming up yes, at St. Vitus. Yep. So when is that? Well, this this actually, yeah, it's uh, the 25th of July at St. Vitus. 25th it, of July, It's like, okay. you know, another, almost two months from now. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, us, uh, Piron, who's also oh, relapsed. Oh, cool. Yep. Doug Moore's band? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. They're insane. Yeah. Uh, Static Bloom, which is Fade. Okay, cool. Fade's, like, industrial, like, project. And a band called Passage Between, which is, um, they're from Baltimore, and my friend Cole is in that band. And uh, Cole used to be in Swarm of the Lotus. Okay. And they're, we played with them many times in Baltimore, and now I'm going to do them a favor and help them out and bring them up here, because mm-hmm. they haven't played in New York. And um, I'd love to have them play with us in their first show in New York. So, so you know, Cole has helped me for years, you know, either by organizing shows in Baltimore or you know, having a stay at his place or whatever, or just hanging out with us, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, Baltimore could be, you know, an unfriendly town. You yeah. Know what I'm <laughs> so, uh, so Cole, Cole's the man. I've known him forever. And, uh, I'm happy that I can bring it, bring him up here, you know, mm-hmm. and, and have him play. And hopefully there'll be some people there for them to see his band. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. that's going to be ram packed. Yeah. We'll see. Already. <laughs> now, like for this, um, when you're going out with Pelican, do you, Personally, are you? Do you have any kind of say in booking, organizing a tour? Like, is that not really? Yeah. I mean, um, Pelican and I, we're friends. I mean, Pelican are been friends of ours for years at this point. Like, we met them 
a few years ago mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of hit it off with them. And this is, I think, let's see, I think the third time we've actually toured with them. Toured with them with Isis, toured with them with Wolves in the Throne Room. Uh, yeah, this would be number three. We did a string of dates with them in Europe one time a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So three and a half times, you know. And um, I think it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to seeing those guys again. And, and uh, I love the West Coast, too, you know, and it's great. Um, what are some of the uh, cities you're going to be stopping in? Uh, San Diego, L.A., uh, Sacramento, uh, my favorite West Coast city, San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, Portland, Seattle, and Seattle, two of my least favorite cities on the West Coast, <laughs> yeah. uh, Vancouver. Okay, cool. And um, I think that's that's about it. It's like I think it's like nine days long. There's like one day off, which is like kind of cool because like hanging. I like hanging in LA. is kind of cool because like a bunch of my friends live out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. After all these years of touring, um, do you have any, I guess, words of advice for some of the young uns in terms of how to a um, maintain relationships, positive relationships with your bandmates? Oh, okay. Or b, um, <laughs> you know, like how to survive? I think a lot of people, especially young people, you know, they go down the road and they just they drink too much. Yeah. Like what? What advice do you have for... Wash your hands as often as possible. <laughs> That's, like, the one thing I can say is because, like, this, the whole fucking world is, like, a Petri dish of bacteria. So just wash your hands, you know, change your socks regularly. That's, like, you know, a fresh pair of socks is, like, you know, it's like taking a shower or something like that. Um, you know, hygiene... You know, I've been I've been acute, I've been guilty of poor personal hygiene on tour, but you know I think it's important to keep clean. Um, yeah, and just like you know, re- understand that when you're bored and you're talking, that you're not everyone is really interested in what you're saying most of the time. So it's like kind of like be mindful of other people when you're in close quarters. You know, mm-hmm. I find that that problem erupts when there's like multiple bands traveling in one vehicle. You know, yeah, like uh, a lot, some of our European tours have been with um, with bands um, that you know, two bands traveling in one van. Okay, and then there's always like one or two guys who are like just won't stop talking. They're talking stupid about stupid shit all the time. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it's not the secret. It wasn't Hierophant, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, but it wasn't the secret, and it wasn't Hierophant. Both of those guys are awesome. It wasn't planks either. So we'll just leave it. We'll let that sit out there in the ether. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, as far as uh, touring and just, you know, I don't know. You guys are on the same side. You know, it's like just, just sort of keep that in mind and, you know. Try to go to the supermarket every now and then instead of eating at Denny's every day. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, how do you how do you balance your diet? Well, I eat at Denny's all the time uh, because <laughs> because you can get uh, you can get salad there, you can get like oatmeal, you can get eggs, and um, if you if you can't get organic food, eggs are probably your best bet because um, being that the egg has gone through the the uh, reproductive system of the chicken, most of the you know, toxic stuff has been taken out of it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that, you know, and once again, I go, you know, I go to the uh, supermarket as much as I can. 
what I usually do is um, Denny's, you know, is reliable. Ruby Tuesdays has an amazing, uh, you know, lunch, uh, you know, buffet during the week. And, um, you know, usually Monday through Friday, we're rolling through some town. Everyone's at work, so they're not at Ruby Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. We'll hit it. It's like, it's exactly $10, which is what our per diem is every day. Mm-hmm. So it's like for $10, you can get an unlimited salad bar, a cup of coffee, and like a, uh, you know, their, their buffet, like slider, you know, you can get like a fish slider or something like that. And it's, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a good, it's, it's not going to poison you, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but then definitely try to hit up the supermarket. And also, um, I usually try to pick certain cities like, like, all right, I know, I know San Francisco is going to have like good stuff. So I'm like going to drop some money there on, on, get a nice meal, you know? Um, yeah, I'm going to see Karen and, and, and uh, David out there. Okay, so, cool. So that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, Seattle, you know, amidst all the passive aggression, there'll be some cool <laughs> places to eat. You know? They have the worst Mexican food. I know, and there's, there's, ton, there's mad Mexicans on the West Coast, too. Yeah, you know? it's, it's, it's tragic. I don't know yeah. why the food there is so bad. Yeah. yeah. I remember, like, one time I was getting a coffee in a place in, in Seattle, and I was, like, I was getting coffee for, like, not just myself, but for some other people. And one dude, one of the people wanted, like, milk and sugar, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm at, like, the little station, you know, where there's, like, the milk and the sugars and the, the stirs and the little, you know, jam that you put the cup in and all that. So I'm, I'm like, looking for, like, the sugar in the raw because there's, like, you know, cane sugar, sugar in the raw, like, whatever. I'm trying to, I don't use sugar, so I'm trying to find what this guy wants, right? Mm-hmm. So I hear this, like, long sigh from behind me, right? I turn around, some fucking guy was standing behind me, like, <sighs> just like, <laughs> I was taking too, apparently I was taking too long. And I'm like, dude, I didn't say nothing to him, man. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was like, it would probably, like, have been better if he'd just been, been like, excuse me, can I just grab like a napkin or whatever the hell he wanted but that that is like the that epitomizes the seattle experience in my opinion so passive aggressive yeah man yeah mine was watching a guy in broad daylight smoke crack off of tinfoil damn yeah it that was like i'm like this town is fucked wow that was crazy yeah yeah oregon (laughs) is like that too man it's like i remember we were in uh eugene oregon and uh I was like, I'd never seen so many, like, homeless, like, weirdos. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look like they could either be homeless or, like, a professor at the college or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, some of these dudes are like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't have been surprised if this dude was, like, teaching a class or he was, like, a meth head. Like, they had that weird, they can go either way. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, like, like, Eugene is a weird spot, too. And, you know. Yeah. It's cool. It's a little methy out there, though, you know. And it's like, you know, the Northwest. I'm not. I don't really feel the Northwest. I like. I like where the sun is down in California. Is there any kind of place you've been to in your touring experience that you will never you you never want to go back to ever for the as long as you live? Nah, I don't really have any places like that. I mean, like you know, I, and this is gonna sound like really like you know hippy dippy, but it's like I, there's always something good about everywhere, even places like Detroit and like you know Baltimore, like you know places that you don't really think of as like you know nice places to visit. You know, there's Oklahoma City is like another spot like that is like you wouldn't think to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's like a 
a one or two year period, right? I was in Oklahoma. I felt like I was in Oklahoma City like every other week. It was like I went there with Tombs a couple times. I went there with Wormrot, um, you know, when I when I drove those guys. And one the time, either the time with Wormrot or the time I played there with Tombs, it was within like a few months. And I remember I, we we stayed at the Red Roof Inn all the time, and I had one mm-hmm. of those Red Roof Inn cards. And the second time, like. Or actually, it was more like the fourth or fifth time we stayed there. I went to go check in, and they were just like, "Oh, welcome back, Mister Hill!" Like, because like <laughs> your, your name comes up as being like some kind of like frequent stayer there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Man, I got I got to get out of Oklahoma City, man. I gotta go <laughs> else. I gotta maybe stay at a different hotel next time or something." Yeah, my friends and I had a bad experience at the Red Roof Inn in Baltimore recently. Well, uh, all right, what, what do you expect, man? I mean, Baltimore is not known for like you know. Good experiences, yeah, really. You know no, what I'm saying? It was, it was not good. We ended up, to make a long story short, we, ha- we were awakened at 4.30 by either a police officer and given 10 minutes to vacate. Well, what, that's some intro to some story, man. Like, what's, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> what happened? Crazy-ass friends who uh, got a little... I don't, you know, I was passed out. I don't even know what they were doing. All I remember is somebody knocking on the door at 4.30 and saying, you have 10 minutes to get out or you're all going to jail. Was this like recently? Like a couple yeah, this was a couple ago? of weekends ago. <laughs> wow. Damn. And I was like, at my age, I didn't expect to be, as I thought Baltimore jail is not a place I want to visit. Oh, no. no so no. yeah, that didn't turn out so well for us. But yeah, I mean, regardless of the incident, because it was, you know, quite honestly, it was my friend's fault. Okay. Um, you threw just, him right under the bus. I just threw it. him completely <laughs> under the bus. And, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, it was sketchy. It was a sketchy place. But it's Baltimore. You know, you, when you got hookers, you know, openly working out of the rooms, yeah. I mean, you get what you give. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of hookers, when we were in, uh, we went down to um, Dallas to record uh, Path of Totality. You know, like we toured down there. So we did a bunch of shows. Some of the dates were with Toxic Holocaust and then, like, broke out and did a bunch on our own and then when when we were in the night of um our we had a show in dallas Mm -hmm. but our hotel accommodation did not start that night it started the next day which was technically our load-in day so the recording session we had a place to stay so normally you know we use priceline we do all that stuff for whatever reason goddamn blackberry man back then i had a blackberry Mm mm-hmm it, it wasn't fucking re- nothing was coming up it wouldn't it, something was wrong with the app so we just had to cowboy it you know and we're driving in, in Dallas it's late and we're just like oh, man we need a place to stay like you know I don't, I don't fucking you know we can't call anyone up that we know because it's like one thirty in the morning so we we're driving down the highway and I'm like yeah we're we're not that close we're not that far away from where we have to go tomorrow so let's let's try to let's stay in some hotel here so we just the first one I saw. We just got off the highway. Well, this looks nice. You know, we went there. So the dude, like, you know, I go I go to the, the window, and I was like, "You have a vacant vacancy." He's like, "For the, for the whole night?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, for the whole night, dude." Yeah, and he's kind of like in this little window, and uh, you know, I was. He's like, you know. It, he made it like like he wanted cash instead of a credit card, and I was like, right, whatever, dude. So I go, yeah, can I have a receipt? So he wrote, he had to hand write a receipt out for me because I guess you know, you see where this is going, right? So we go, we go into our room, and it was like, you know, the worst fucking room I'd ever seen in my life. There's like cigarette burns on the, you know, 
there was actually some like blood you know, in the bathroom, <laughs> right? So it was one of those deals. There was like all this like activity, all this like activity outside, yeah. and I'm like, what the fuck, man. And um, you know, it was a weeknight. It was like a Monday night, and it was still like crazy shit going on or whatever. So our Sunday or whatever night of the week it was. So none, we all like had our all fully clothed, like. <laughs> I had, like, my hooded sweatshirt on. I had, like, a sleeping bag on top of that. We would definitely didn't go in, in the covers. We slept on top of the bed. I don't even think I really slept. And I just remember <laughs> it was, like, 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. Like, let's get the fuck out of here. So, <laughs> so then a couple of days later, John Congleton, the guy who recorded our, our record, I'm, I'm driving around with him. And we drive by there. I'm like, oh, that's where we played. Man. That's where we stayed at, you know. So he stayed there. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, that place is in the news all the time. Like, people get shot there. They deal drugs. There was, like, some prostitution ring that was being run out of there. And then it all made sense. I'm like, yeah, no wonder the guy didn't want to write me a receipt. You know, no, who goes there for stay wants a receipt. So, um, yeah, so that that's, that's like, a, a pretty, probably on par with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hotels. Hotels. I always, that's why Priceline is so good, man, because it's, like, you always, you put a star rating in. And you can stay at like a five star or four star hotel for like hardly any money, you know. Have you ever done Airbnb? You know, you're the third person who's mentioned that to me, and I haven't tried it yet. You know, when I when I before I moved to New York, I I used it when I would come to New York, and the last place was in Williamsburg. Okay. And it was it was it skeeved me out. Um, the woman that I rented the room, she was still there, and her. Her other roommate and her boyfriend were sleeping in the next bed naked with the door open Whoa. when I was there. And I was like, I don't need to see that. Yeah. No. The second thing was that she left an, about a year supply of condoms in Ooh. her room open. So that was the second red flag. The third was coming home about three o'clock in the morning, um, going to the kitchen and getting a glass of water. And I've never seen cockroaches oh. the size of what I saw in that kitchen. And I'm like, and this is what I'm paying for. So you don't recommend using that service? I think you have to be very careful. Yeah, well, and, that's also New York, too, man. Like, well, yeah, and for me as, a, as an idiot, I was like, oh, Williamsburg. Uh -huh. I, I want to stay in Williamsburg. <laughs> yeah. And it's cheap. Yeah. You know, and that's what you get. So you have to be very, very careful. Well, you, you got to be careful coming to the city anyway, man. True. You got to be careful. Like, I'm not saying you're going to get jacked or mugged or raped or anything like that, but it's like... <laughs> It's like, it, it's it's more insidious than that, the perils that befall you in New York City, you know, like getting, paying too much money for something and not getting anything for that money is like really the big, the big danger here, you know? Yeah. Well, I live in, I live in Bed-Stuy um, and my neighborhood is, uh, it's quite active in the summer. Okay. Um, I'm sure that once the naivete of moving here wears off in another few months, I'll begin to hate it. But right now, I love it. But it's crazy. I mean, I've heard the worst hip-hop in my life. Do there people rapping, like, out loud, too? People just rapping. You know, they listen to their headphones and sing along. I saw actually one woman do a whole interpretive dance, just silently listening to her headphones on the train. And she actually, I think she was sane. Really? Yeah, it's fascinating. But in some ways, it's really cool because it's, like, it's very liberating. Like, there's so many people that live here, you just, you can't give a shit. You yeah. just got to do you. Yeah. You got to do you. Exactly. And that's, yeah. yeah, from where I'm from, you would never do that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's liberating. It's a, it's a little weird as a Canadian watching this because people are, it's just, it's, it's a huge culture shock. 
But it's actually really cool because you just think to yourself, there's so many people that live here, you just got to do you. And you can't give a shit what people think of you. You just got to do you. The uh, proximity of so many people, I think, is starting to get to me a little bit. You know, it's, um, you know, it's like primates. <laughs> Once again, you know, like, you know, when you, like, when you observe, like, primates, like, in nature, you know, they act differently than when they're in a zoo. You know what I mean? When they're, like, on top of each other all the time, they start developing these, like, neurotic behaviors. And I just think as primates, we're not really, we shouldn't have, like, this much primate per square foot, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, I think that's why people go nuts in, in the summertime in this city. Yeah. You know, there's just too, too many people close to each other, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess, like, you, I mean, you create so much, you know, in this space, in Brooklyn, in this concentrated, you know, neighborhood. Yeah. Like, how do you kind of, in some ways, keep your focus on not only, you know, tombs and putting out this new album, but also the other projects you do and starting a coffee business. Like, do you ever feel like, even though this is your sanctuary, do you ever kind of feel the outside hustle and bustle kind of impacting your concentration in, in terms of creation? Um, not really, because uh, my, my biggest motivator is fear um, of not getting to do everything that I want to do. Uh, you know, before they turn the lights out on me, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of like, you know, one of, one of the biggest motivators is like, you know, like I think I've said in like other, you know, whatever interviews are out there that there's been, you know, people have died in the last few years, like young people, you know, friends, people that are younger than me have died. Two of the guys I know, two great friends of mine are dead right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, like the last person to die was my friend uh, Jason McCash who played in um, in Gates of Slumber. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, I remember the night that he died. Like the next morning, like you know, sometimes people die and you find out weeks later or days later. But I was like immediately, I found out that he was dead. And I thought about like, you know, I, what was I doing at that moment that he slipped away into this like wherever the great unknown, you know. Like, was I sleeping? Was I, like, awake? You know, was I reading a book? What was I doing? You mm -hmm. know? Was I, like, you know, wasting my time? You know? Mm -hmm. And then, like, I just couldn't stop thinking about, like, you're, you're alive and you're this vessel with this energy in it. And then you're just this husk with nothing, you know? And, um, you know, the, uh, that's a similar thing on my other friend, Jared Southwick, who is, um, you know, going to join tombs actually and uh you know I, I didn't know exactly when he died mm -hmm. but i remember being on tour and getting a call from jason telling me that he was probably going to be dying soon he was in a really bad shape and it was just that whole connection of everything and those two guys are people like jared my old band anodyne jared mm -hmm. was the guy to book us our first show in out in indianapolis you know, mm -hmm. met him like 1998 or something like that. And, um, we've always been friends. Like, I feel like, I feel like both of those guys are, are still out there. Like, I don't, it hasn't really, even though Jared died like two years ago, McCash at this point died like a few months ago. Right. Like, I still feel like they're there. You know, I still feel like they're, they're out there, but they're just these echoes of like my own 
perception of who they are just like bouncing back and forth through my consciousness you know mm -hmm. and um there's a picture of the three of us that's like just i fucking see that picture and i just burst into tears man it's like we're sitting at this place in indianapolis called jay clyde's mm -hmm. and um you know we're just hanging out and both of those guys are dead now man it just fucks me up and uh i remember that night like i remember um Jared was going to come back out here and we were going to go and, uh, you know, start working on tomb stuff. And, you know, we were like, yeah, you know, yeah, this summer, man, we're going to fucking go out on the road, you know, us and Gates of Slumber, we'll do this tour together and it'll be awesome. And like, you know, it'll be like the old days, like, cause my old band, Anodyne, used to tour with his old band, uh, you know, uh, the dream is dead all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and I uh, was just like back, you know, in the old days, I'm like, fuck yeah, man. And then like he died and then now McCash is dead. And it's just like, I think that, that kind of consciousness of like the, the sort of how little time we fucking have, you know, it's really right. the kind of thing that pushes me forward, man. And I'm like, I think about like sometimes, some nights, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, how many more mornings am I going to have? How many more summers do I have left? How many like, you know, how many, how much time is there? And I just, the idea of not getting things done or started or dying feeling like I haven't accomplished anything really is like a big motivator for me. But you know? don't you feel, I mean, <clears throat> like at my age, doing graduate school, and I just, the last month I've decided I'm going to do my PhD. Oh. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. I want to accomplish a lot of my life too, mm -hmm. but sometimes I feel exhausted. Yeah, especially when you're watching other people with their thumb up their ass. Yeah, not or you know who or either have you know addiction problems to the point where they're rational, intelligent human beings, but have been so consumed by something, and you just think, well, you know. Why am I working so hard when you're when there's people around you that are content or you don't know what issues that they're dealing with who are not working yeah. or stressed or you know pushing themselves or ambitious as you? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think about that really because it's like who knows what they want? You know, I mean, there's there's a people there's numerous people who set up like a blockade of obstacles for themselves that they just are like, well, you know, I would do that, but I need to get $400, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or like, I would do that, but I'm going to do it after whatever, you know, there's always like another thing to distract them from what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, um, you don't know if they want to ever do anything. And, and I, I liken it to like, we just had like a three day weekend, you know, and, um, you know, Friday night comes around. And you're like, yeah, three-day weekend, man. And that's like being a teenager, you know? Yeah. You're like, fucking life's... A, the world is my oyster, you know? Everything's ahead of me. And then, uh, you know, Saturday comes around, and you're like, all right, cool, I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still have a couple of days left, you know? I'm still, I'm still all right. You know, I could fuck around today. Sunday, you're starting to feel like I got to kickstart something. And then Monday comes around, Monday night... And you're like, what the fuck did I do with all my time? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think about life that way. One day I woke up and this fucking, I was just, that idea hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, 
I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the Monday night of my life on a three day weekend. Right. And be like, I just wasted the entire fucking thing. Right. You know, and it's like, you know that that sort of mindset is something that I'm like, well, you know, everyone people can do what they want, you know, and and you know, some people want to do things, and some people are content just to live their life, and that's fine. But for me, I need to get something done, you know, to make myself feel like you know, satisfied, I guess. Yeah. I know that I have to, like, I can't sleep in past seven. Really? Or, no. Or I, I can feel, sleep in past seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel guilty. Really? Yeah. And I feel like, no, I got to, you know, check my email. I got to do this. I have an article due. I need to, you know, and it's just this constant push, push, push where I know I, the worst feeling in the world is to feel like you wasted your time. Or that you could have done something and you just didn't do yeah. it. Or you've lost an opportunity. One of the things that I've become really aware of, though, is recovery time. You know, because, uh, you know, if you're working all the time, you know, you're banging it out. For your own mental, you need to disconnect for a little while. Do something different. Like, you know, I know, like, for me, like, when it, when it, there's a guy named Steve Maxwell who's like a, you know, it's like famous, uh, you know, strength and conditioning trainer. He had the first, um, jujitsu academy on the East coast, you know, he's like really well known, like in the martial arts world. And he talks about like getting stronger and it's like, it's not actually the time spent in the gym that makes you stronger. It's a time recovery. Mm. Having adequate time to recover from your workout is what makes you stronger. Right. So what I've been trying to apply to my like creative life is like, recovery time so I don't get frustrated or I don't get like overburdened with some of these things and you need you need those days you know where you can just you know go outside and like get iced coffee and sit by the water or like watch Netflix or you know binge you know binge watch uh, Mad Men or something you know and just give your mind like a break just to disconnect from whatever you're you're engaged with and recover your mind so that like the next day, you're like, okay, cool, cool. I'm ready to, ready to get back into this, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you don't have the luxury of time to do that. But when you do have the time, it's important that you completely pull out of it, though. Yeah. You because know, I used to be like, you know, I, I got to look, you know, my iPhone, you know, my email, I got to answer this email real quick, you know? Like, at some times, I just don't even take my phone with me. I don't text anyone back. And it has to be about me doing my thing for whatever period of time a day or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that's why i love training man when i go to train it's like i for two hours you're not going to hear from me i'm in my my zone you know how many times a week are you training like how many times it varies i mean it depends on like what i got going on like um like for example uh right now um you know focusing more on the band so i'm in there like two or three days but when the band stuff's not really happening, I'm there like, you know, four days, five days a week usually, mm-hmm. you know, two hours here and, you know, usually like two hours or like one hour. But, you know, once again, you got to keep in mind that you can't overtrain. You can't, you got to need recovery, you know. So that's why like the weekends, I just, I don't do anything really like when it comes to martial arts or like weightlifting or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know. You know, and also, and once again, every now and then you just got to not do anything and recover for like, you know, like a week or something. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I recently took some time off from jujitsu and it was like, you know, that's really, really hard on your body, you know. And, uh, you know, I got injured last year 
but recently I was I took some time off and I was focusing on you know Muay Thai, so I wasn't really training jujitsu. And uh, I'm like, wow, like I'm not in pain right now. Like I'm not like my neck doesn't hurt. You know, I don't feel like you know my face has been like smashed by somebody. You know, and and I just recently started training again. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, now my neck's been pulled on for whatever. But you know, you have to like pull out of things every now and then to go back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider, like, training other people? No, I don't think that, like, that's something, I mean, maybe if I had more actual, I don't feel like I'm, I'm like, accomplished enough at any of these things to really train anyone. I mean, I can give pointers to people who are, like, beginners or whatever, but, like, you know, like, I don't think that I have, like, any kind of qualification to train anybody with anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I've noticed living in Brooklyn is that in my neighborhood, there's a karate um, place. Yeah. Um, that is for kids probably 16 and, 16 and under. That's great. Um, and it's primarily, it's, like, predominantly, like, 90% black. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place for kids to go after school. Yeah. And they also do a lot of motivational yeah, stuff. Yeah, Definitely. Um, and my friend, um, they have, they just, her and her husband just started another karate place for little kids. Awesome. Yeah. Um, urban martial arts, I believe it's called, but it's, it's really cool how you're seeing kind of disenfranchised communities taking up not only martial arts for physical exercise, but also kind of the philosophical. I think that's the most important thing really when you're a young person is, is to get involved in something like that. And, you know, I think, um. More so than, like, team sports, like, related to your school, because I think that, uh, I mean, to this day, one of the things I really like about training is um, the different types of people I come in contact with that I would never see in my real life. I mean, you know, I mean, black people, white people, Thais, Brazilians, you know, like, Latinos, men, women, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm in a pretty male-dominated world, really, for the mm-hmm. most part, you know. But, uh, you know, it's like very, um, you know, and, and then what people do, like the types of people, like, you know, people who like metal, people who are into hip hop, people who don't even like really aren't into music, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you're just exposed to different people and you develop relationships with them and it broadens you, you know, and that's something I really like about martial arts. But I think for a young person to be around different, you know, kids of different age groups and like it teaches like the older kids to deal with the younger kids and the younger kids to relate to the older kids. And the thing that's lacking in a lot of young people is like the lack of purpose. I mean, if you, you know, there's, there's no correlation when you're young that's apparent to you in putting in work in something means improvement and then reward. You know, it's like the only thing they have is like school and who the fuck wants to go to school? I didn't want to go to school when I was 13. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, oh, great, you know, you get a grade or whatever. But you go to martial arts and you train and you work and you, you put your time in and then you get a belt or you get a stripe on your belt or then you, you get this, you know, the, the ceremony, the belt ceremony and you, your parents come down and they're proud of you and, like, your friends are like, oh, you know, you got your blue belt today or whatever. You know, I got a stripe in my blue belt. And it's like, you know, very, you know, to this day, like, if I get a stripe on my belt, I'm like, oh, this is, I feel like I did something, you know. And mm-hmm. so for a kid... It's, like, very, very important to feel like working towards a goal is is something that gets re- recognized and rewarded, you know? Mm-hmm. And then just, like, the, the main thing is tiring someone out. It's, like, when you're a kid and you have all that energy, 
when you get tired is like when like you can like relate to people and not be a maniac. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that kids who train like martial arts at a young age are just calmer and they're not, you know, raising hell all the time or, or, or lashing out at people really. Is there a correlation between um your experiences and your training versus either how you approach music, the lyricism, or like, you know, is there anything that has, you've learned through training that you are now kind of applying consciously or subconsciously to your music? Probably patience, really. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, especially training jujitsu. Um, if you're impatient, you should never try to do jujitsu because like it takes you a really long time to get you know, you show up for like the first six or seven months, you're just getting strangled by everybody. You get mounted, you're getting, you know, abused and manhandled because it takes a long time to understand the body mechanics and to drill those techniques into your, your, your bot, your brain so that your body just reacts to certain things. So for me, having patience is a result of all of that. I think that like being patient and like not trying, knowing that like, oh, we're not going to get this all done tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. But really, my years as a wrestler when I was a kid really instilled, like, the grind mentality where it's, like, you know, overcoming your obstacles and just smashing through, like, different goals and, like, working hard and having a work ethic is really what I took away from that because, um, you know, wrestling is, like, you know, really gruel a grueling, you know, thing to be involved with and and that I think has really helped me a lot in my life in general and specifically with music you know to be able to okay let's do the set like one more time even though you're tired and you want to go home mm -hmm. you know just the ability to, to, to just put your head down and get through things you know is, is something I learned from all that you know when you first started playing guitar like were you are you self-taught or did yeah. you yeah I had like some well, minor patience. minor lessons here and there you know but like yeah, I mean, I learned, like, the basics. Like, I remember in my, my middle school, we had, like, guitar lessons, and I took them then. And, but I never formally went to any, like, lesson thing. I just read books and, you know, listened to music, really. Mm -hmm. You know? And then older guys, like, some friends that were a little bit older than me who took lessons and knew what they were doing would show me things, you know? Mm -hmm. And what was the catalyst to take guitar playing seriously like did you fantasize about being in a rock band one day or you were just fascinated by the art of just playing and and kind of the challenge of you know mastering this instrument it's funny how how uh, that a very specific moment just popped into my head when you asked me that question because i remember i don't know if you remember but uh night flight which is on the usa network Oh, didn't grow up with cable, man. Ah, that's what you're yeah. You're a Canadian, too. Yes, Canadian. So the USA Met Network is like... Anyway, uh, USA, I don't know, probably no one fucking remembers this either, but like, there was this thing called Night Flight, which would have, um, you know, rock shows. Like, there would be concerts and whatever. They would show, like, uh, you know, movies about, you know, like, the Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains was on there. Mm, I saw that yeah. movie on there, which was great, which had... Uh, you know, cool music in it. And this, it, there was like a live, something that had like the Go-Go's on it and they were playing live. And I remember, I wanted to play bass first because I was like watching this live performance of the Go-Go's and I was like, man, this looks pretty fun, man, doing this shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since then, I'm like, I want to play bass. 
you know, then I heard Getty Lee from Rush. I mean, mm, meanwhile, yeah. I could barely play a note, you know, I'm like, I want a Getty Lee, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I think that, that go watching the go-go's and seeing how fun that's, that looked like. And then like listening to blacks, the early black Sabbath records and realizing like, man, this is like some, you know, like it sounds easy, you know, like those riffs, but they sound like powerful, but they don't sound very complicated, you know, cause I was listening to Rush and Zeppelin and all that stuff. You know, Rush is like all this crazy like shit going on. Yeah. And uh, this one kid I knew played bass, so I'm like, "Well, fuck, I gotta play guitar because he plays bass, and like we could play together." You know. But yeah, so that's kind of how I fell into it. You know, I just had this sort of half-assed thing that we did. We never really did anything. It was like, you know, a couple times we jammed. But uh, when when I started getting into punk, like in a big way, mm-hmm. like when I heard Black Flag and like the Circle Jerks, that's when I really was like, okay. You really don't know how to play. You don't have to. You can just fucking bash it out, you know? Yeah. Not saying Greg, Greg Yin is like a master of guitar playing, but like some of the other bands, like the Ramones, you know, um, that stuff was like very, um, you know, rudimentary. And I'm like, well, I, I could do those chords, you know? And I sort of, that's how I got into really playing in bands and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoyed playing, so... You know, I don't consider myself like a you know any kind of like really technical like virtuoso or anything. I just think that like I like playing and it's more like the ideas, you know. Well, there's I think one thing that I like about tombs is that there's emotion in the playing. Yeah. And I think that regardless of you know if it's Black Sabbath, it's it's the feel, it's the tone, it's the power, it's you know that you can feel. Instead of just a myriad of notes, which I think, like, I remember Rush. Did you ever see that documentary, Beyond the Lighted Stage? Of course I have. No yeah, way. they were talking yeah. about this. I can't remember what album that they were talking about, but it was so, you know, pro- yeah, yeah, that they couldn't, they realized they couldn't replicate it live. Yeah, that and, was, uh, I want to say it was like Permanent Waves or something like yeah. that. Or, uh, or um, Farewell to Kings or something, where they tried to do it all in one take. Yeah. And they just couldn't do it. The, the, the thing is, though, to be like, all right, we're going to play this like 30 minutes, one take, all or nothing, is that's like a pretty fucking ambitious thing to do, man. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't sweat them for not being able to do that, you know. And especially the level of music that they're playing, you know. It's like really technical stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like I there's a band called Lesbian. Um yeah, I saw them once a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, and last year they came up with an album called Forest Television. Okay. And it's basically one forty-eight minute song. Wow. It's fantastic. It's incredible. I check that out again. Though. Yeah, there. I mean, it's really what do they call it? Um, Cascadic black metal. Okay. Cascadian black metal. Because, Cascadian black metal. Yeah, because they're from like the Portland, Seattle area, and okay. it's supposed to be an environmental. Oh yeah, yeah, like wolves in the throne room. Yeah, it's yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. But I just I love this band, and you know I think that they were doing a tour where they were just playing forest television cool. all the way through, and I and it's so many ebbs and flows that you're never bored. Like uh, Dope Smoker. See, I'm not a fan of that record, but I but I like the long form idea behind that though. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking I love. The uh, the art the musicians in that band separately. Uh-huh. Um, huge Alice Cisneros 
fan, and anybody knows me knows that I like to have Mike Pike's baby, kind <laughs> of in a philosophical way. <laughs> okay. But I mean, I just love those musicians. But I thought I don't know if I could sit there, sober, and listen to Dope Smoker from sure. beginning to end in a live format. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. I like uh, Spesta's Death, like the other band that, mm-hmm. that Pike was in. That band's cool. Um, you know, some of the Sleep records I like were are like the first Sleep album was it Volume uh, Volume two, 2 or Volume 11 or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. And Sleep's Holy Mountain is pretty awesome. That's like the first one I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I have that one. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, man. So uh, looking forward, man, to getting on the road doing this thing. Yeah, so just to to recap, so next week you are heading on to West Coast with West Pelican? West Coast only with Pelican, yeah. Okay, and that's about nine About nine days. days, yeah. And then uh, the end of July you will be... It's a be, local show. Yeah, big yep. show at St. Vitus. Yep. Yeah, Parathon. There, there's another uh, another sh- another tour coming up in the fall with a, with a, a band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not... Uh, they haven't announced it yet, so um, I'm gonna you know just going to say we'll be out... In, well, that's not it from us, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. we're going to be out there. And know? do you expect that the tour with the band, will that be in, is that going to be North America? Are you planning to go to Europe or Canada? Yeah, all? that tour is a North American okay, tour. Okay, great. Uh, there's more Canadian dates in there, I think. Okay, cool. Um, I think. i got to look in the itinerary. Um, mm. We just got a new booking agent in Europe, so uh, there's they want to get us over there ASAP. Right. So, but realistically, it won't be until 2015, probably. Because, okay. you know, we're trying to get it happening here first. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're hoping to be over there, like, this, next year, early, early yeah. next year. Yeah, and I guess the most important thing is, is that Savage Gold drops on June the 10th, next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think it comes out tomorrow in Europe. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's cool. But, yeah, you know, North if you're North. in Europe tomorrow, <laughs> if uh, you're here in the States, it's on Tuesday. Tuesday. So, yeah, hopefully... Uh, you know, people check it out and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you know, I've been, I was one of the lucky ones to have uh, listened to it repeatedly, and congratulations. Um, it's fantastic. You're just saying that. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> in a situation where it's, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say anything otherwise, yeah. but no, I mean, congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the song, the outro in this song is um, by a band called Blood Sun Circle. It's, uh, if anyone's familiar with the band Engineer from Syracuse, it's uh, three of those guys. It's their newer bands. But it doesn't sound anything like Engineer. It's uh, a way different experience. And I'll just like let you guys decide what you think of it. I think it's great. We played with those guys last summer, and they blew me away live. And, um, you know, the Gorham brothers are like old, old friends of mine. And they're just awesome dudes, and their new band is great. So... The the song that I'm going to take you guys out with is called uh, Blood of My Blood, so check it out. <laughs> 